Robertson. Hey, Ben, this is David Duchovny. Twin Peaks is over 30 years old. There's so much more to learn about Twin Peaks. I, we recommend you pick up our book, Twin Peaks Unwrap the Book, to find out even more about the show that you love. We have tons of great stuff. We have over 100 interviews. We have commentary from the community. We have us. We have some great photos that have never been seen by most folks. I think if you're a diehard Twin Peaks fan, you're going to absolutely love this book, and you will definitely learn something new. So pick it up at bluerosemag.com. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. Unwrap time. Your host, Ben Durant. And beside me is Brian Kazaska. Hi, Brian. Hey, Ben. Happy New Year. Happy New Year 2018. Oh, my God. I can't even believe you said that word. 2018. You know, it's, uh, is there, I'm curious to know what's going to happen with Twin Peaks in 2018. You know, like I feel uh. like, you know, I was looking forward to the, to the series in 2017, and then I was looking forward to Mark Frost's book, and then we got the Blu-ray, and now here we are, Clean Slate 2018. What's going to happen? What are we going to get? Mm, well, <laughs> if I had to make a prediction, I would say my prediction is by the end of this year, I predict we will get a uh, announcement of some sort of a new series or maybe possibly a movie. I like that. I'll, I, I'm, I'm there with you. That's my uh, year prediction here. And you know, it's not about losing weight. It's about <laughs> <laughs> not about eating healthy. <laughs> it's just about every, doing everything you can to get a series or a movie of Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't care about anything else. <laughs> right. That's all I want. So that's what I predict. So today's show, we actually got someone from season three. We got Nicole La Liberté. 
she played the character Daria. Daria, yeah. I mean, and she and she died way too soon. I mean, I really thought I she totally was a great agree. character, and I wanted more of her. I even was hoping for like flashbacks, or she could be in the red room, or something more. But we, it was, yeah, yeah. I wanted the dynamic between her and Ray, right, to last longer. I wanted. I mean, Ray lasted pretty long, sort yeah, of. Yeah, he did. But I wanted her to last long too. I thought, you know. It, I, she was an interesting character. She was. And you know what it was? I predicted last year that, you know, we have to see Mr. C kill someone. And if I if I remember correctly, that was one of the first people we saw. You know, he did shoot someone. But, I mean, he was in bed with her and he, he killed her. He smuggled her with the pillow yes. and shot her in the head. And, it, I mean, that's a personal kill. That's not like shooting someone across the room. Right. And it showed the um, the weight, the, the e- evilness of Mr. C. Yes. And it kind of like, you know, we're dealing with not Dale Cooper anymore. This is crazy. <laughs> yes. And, you know, like he's, you know, Mr. C was happy to have other people do the dirty work. But when they can't get the job done, he will take care of them. Yeah. An interesting character. I'm so happy we got Nicole on today's show. Yeah, it's great to get to talk to her for a short time. And then we also have Mike Stasco. He directed this film, Iodine, and which Ray Wise is in it and stuff. So, I mean, so cool. So cool. So, we get to talk to him. We'll talk to him about Twin Peaks. It, it's a really good interview. Yeah. All right, we're on the phone with Mike Stasco. He is actor, producer, a writer, a director. Hi, Mike. Hi, how's it going? Good. So you have this film, Iodine, with Ray Wise. Can you tell us a little bit about this film? Uh, Yeah, this was a film uh, I made a a few years back. It was uh, my second feature film. And um, basically, when you start off as a filmmaker, you have these high hopes of doing these wonderful, beautiful, artsy-fartsy projects Mm. and kind of the things you you look up to. I'm obviously a big fan of David Lynch and his work. Um, And you slowly realize as you get more into the industry and you need to pay bills and stuff that it is extremely rare what David Lynch was able to accomplish. And Mm. he's been able to secure this niche of mostly art with enough entertainment to have an audience sustain like a life kind of thing. Um, So this was kind of my, my one big attempt to to try to do something like a story that i would want to see um kind of more on on the art side of of entertainment kind of thing um so yeah this film starred uh ray wise um which was a big feather in my cap um and it's just about a film about a guy who i kind of basically wanted to tell the anti-drug story so you've seen a lot of films where a guy, you introduce the main character and it's life as we know it. And then this inciting incident happens and he gets on drugs and all this stuff goes crazy and wonky and he questions reality and, and whatever. Um, I thought it'd be interesting to explore the idea of like, what if someone was heavily medicated and on drugs and then for whatever inciting incident had them off the medication, off the drugs, and then coming back to what is actually reality was the thing that kind of spooked them out. So. Mm. Yeah, I really like the film. I like I like this uneasiness of it. I don't even know who to trust. I don't know how to trust your character or Ray Wise's character. It's just it's it's a really well made film, and it's really smart too, which I I really like that it really makes you think a lot about the things they're talking about. Well, thank you. Yeah, and 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 part of the challenge, as I kind of said in the preface, is usually when you're trying to make more commercial stuff, you have to put a few more flagpoles along the way to kind of hold your audience's hand. And make sure they're 
following along and they're expecting certain acts and structures to hit at a certain point. Um, so this was kind of a bit more of a risk for me as far as a storytelling point of view. Um, but I knew that there's an audience out there. I mean, it, it's the, the key audience, I think, is like those Twin Peaks fans, someone who wants to not passively watch something, but wants something that's a challenge to watch that takes months and years to dissect and appreciate over and over again. Yeah, yeah definitely. I definitely think, that, you know, the, the listeners who are listening, is, I think they really enjoy this because it does make you think and it's it's what we, 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 we like. Yeah. So you wrote this too. So you directed this, you wrote this, and you acted in this. So you really did the whole thing here. But I mean, were you taking some of your own life and kind of bringing it in? I think you, when you were a kid, you went to the YMCA camp, and I mean, you, and you. I think you're in. You're, are you an instructor as well? Is is that right? You teach? Yeah, I work as a professor at the University of Windsor, and I teach film production there. Yeah. But yeah, I spent a lot of summer up up north in, in northern Canada, and kind of so the the backdrop in the film is kind of how I I spent my summer. So basically drew on that beautiful free production value of just having that kind of part of the the area there but yeah so i i wrote and directed the 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 acting part of it is just when you're when you're starting off in filmmaking um it's sometimes cheaper and easier to to cast <laughs> yourself in some of the projects yeah. or or people you know kind of thing and then as you work your way up the ladder, then you can start hiring Ryan Gosling and stuff to act in your films for you. But you got a big get. You got Ray Wise. How did you come about getting him? Yeah, it's um, – I'm sure you guys, being the target audience, realize how big of a get it was. Yeah. But yes, for yes. me, um, like he's my Daniel Day-Lewis comparative. Hmm. Like he's – you know, I grew up watching Twin Peaks and all the David Lynch stuff and, you know, Twin Peaks is my Bible kind of thing and – as you guys know, Ray Wise is like a pivotal, huge um, part of that and kind of like an amazing character turn that happens, spoiler alerts, um, in that. And to land him for that film was like that was my actual dream scenario. Um, and th- and that happened. So, um, yeah, real high note in the career. And it was basically it was, you know, I had done one one feature before that and had, a, you know, some television credits and stuff. Um, but it was that shot of like, you know, I, I wrote it. He is the person in my mind that I'm thinking for that role of Avery. Worst case scenario, you ask him and get the agent and make an offer and they say, no, go away, kid kind of thing. Um, but I was lucky enough that uh, I was able to get the script to him, had him read it. Um, I sent him like all this other artsy fartsy stuff. Like I did like a, a CD, like a mix CD for him to listen to while he was reading it, gave him all this other background stuff about the character. Um, I showed him a bunch of my other short films that I had made at that point, talked to him a lot about Twin Peaks, what I was trying to do. Um, and still you're kind of going there with, with comparatively pennies in your hand, offering a guy who at the time he was a, series lead in, in Reaper and you know you make yeah. pretty decent money doing that and you're coming in with a fraction of that to say can you give me a couple weeks of your life and fly to the middle of nowhere in Canada um, so yeah when I found out that he was on board um, yeah it was, a, it was a thrill for sure Wow. That's really cool. And he's so good in it. I mean, he he, yeah. I mean, he he always has a presence about him that is just you know, there's no one else like Ray Wise. <laughs> I mean, there really isn't. That is so No cool. and, and, that's, and that's what I was looking for was um, because if you've seen Iodine, they're, throughout the whole film, I need the audience to be questioning both uh, my character and Ray's character of who's good guy, who's bad guy, who's seen reality correct and who isn't. And Ray's face, the way he delivers his lines is you can hear him say something and be like, wow, that's the most sincere thing ever. 
or at the same time be like, oh, my God, he is hiding something crazy underneath that grin. Um, and to have the audience without having to direct too much, just having Ray's face and that way he delivers it was just a perfect match for that character. Yeah, and you both pulled it off. Both you and him really did that. I'm all questioning through up to the very end. Wow. Both characters and stuff. So <laughs> good job. Nice work. Thank you. And what, what's next for you? Like, what are you doing? I mean, are you, you've got some other projects you're working on right now? Yeah, I just um, – so the, the third film we made after that was called um, The Birder. In the States, it was re-released by Sony as The Birdman. Um, and that was uh, with Tom Cavanaugh and Fred Willard and Graham Greene. And that had a pretty good um, run. I think it's currently Netflix in the States. I'm calling up from Canada just to give context <laughs> to your listeners. <laughs> And I just finished my fourth film called The Control. We just finished it in September. And that's very much um, postmodern sci-fi, even more in line with kind of the Twin Peaks stuff. It spent a lot of time, about an extra year in post-production because this was the first film I did that had a significant amount of special effects in it. And I was never really used to that workflow. But we finally finished September, released, or we applied to a bunch of film festivals. So we're hoping to do the festival run in the January through April and then have a release after that. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. I was just thinking how you were talking about David Lynch. You know, we're, we're starting to get into these uh, shorts of David Lynch. And he was talking about, like, he, he, he was lucky enough to get a grant from IFC. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> he was lucky enough to get a grant, and he, he said that changed his life completely. Like, he didn't know if he could be able to yeah. make it. He didn't know if he was even going to stick with films and stuff like that. So I think it's always just getting the right break and the right chance to do this, but... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's the work you're doing is amazing. I just, going back to iodine, I I really love the, the the pace of the film. Like, there's sometimes where there's just music and you're just watching the character go different places, do things. It's just a a great style and pace that you have. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And and just to go back to what you were saying about David, like it is. Uh, I want to stress this to your listeners: is it is very hard to make a living as a filmmaker anywhere in the world, and the kind of line, it's so admirable of what David did and was able to pull off. And the fact that he was early in his career, he was pulled over to kind of do this Dune thing and do the studio thing. And a lot of filmmakers will experience that and experience the, the, the money and the fame and, the, and what comes with that and then fall into this world of making these studio pictures and needing all this money where he made a very crazy decision early on in his life where he's like, no, I'm going to go back and I'm doing Blue Velvet. I'm doing uh-huh. Wild at Heart. I'm mm. doing Lost Highway. And I don't need $70 million. I'll, I'm fine with $5 million yeah. to budget to make this film. And I want to make something beautiful and wonderful. And I don't want to do what someone else can do. So, he, he, I mean, he's a great guy to look up to in that sense. Definitely. And do you want to try to model your career like that? Is that how you're, you're trying to go about it? Well, I, I would I would never draw a comparison between myself and, and, and the great David Lynch. But, yeah, I mean, he is the filmmaker I definitely look up to by far um, the most. And the idea that, you know, you kind of realize that there is someone else out there that can go shoot that car commercial or make that superhero movie. So why do I need to go fill those shoes? Why don't I spend this one life that I have? Um, making that dream beauty thing in my head and 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 work towards that. So you know, I I'd like to say I worked hard, but I'm kind of at the point where I'm lucky enough that I can kind of take my time and make these projects that I I really care about. And hopefully, there's an audience out there, and hopefully, I'm getting better and better at telling stories and kind of hitting that audience and kind of 
you know, finding the right people who like the same things that I like. Yeah, there's always an audience. I, I think you'll have an audience. I think I feel like there's sort of like this um, this bubbling of everyone's getting kind of you know it's always these superhero movies in the theater. It's kind of the same old, same old. And I think uh, smaller movies have kind of fallen by the wayside. But because of Netflix and on demand, it's kind of a, a resurgence of the indie house can come right into your home now. You know, you have the instant access. And Lynch kind of looks at it that way. I mean, he yeah. saw Showtime as maybe an option that maybe instead of going to theaters, that, that maybe something like uh, premium channels would yeah. actually cable. get. You know, yeah, cable. yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, he's been said, he said a few times that it, it is a bit like the new art house. I think the only downside he would probably see from it as a filmmaker is the end result is out of your control as far as you still have people watching things on iPhones and their small yeah. little computer screens. Yeah. And if David had it his way, he'd want it to still be on a huge screen with great 5.1 mix. Yes. Yeah. But as far as the freedom control you get, it's a great medium for, for him to be working in um, and other art filmmakers. Yeah, I'm, it's weird. Uh, TV, television has become the new uh, movie the, the new cinema, all these Fargo. It, yeah, I mean, Fargo. There's so, there's so many good great TV stories. Shows yeah. 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 yeah, it's funny. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of open. That's where the middle ground kind of is. So 20 years ago and before in filmmaking, there were you know gatekeepers. You were either making a film with a studio or you weren't. And it's nice that we've had access to more accessible technology that allows you now you can make a film for a hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand or a million dollars, where before it was all or nothing. But as a result, the marketplace has changed as well. So these theaters, these these big studios, they rely on those tent poles of those big blockbuster movies to kind of, you know, please the shareholders kind of stuff. But it is nice that we're rebounding and saying, you know what? We can find niche audiences on television through subscription services like Showtime, and the audience will seek it out. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And Mike, I think you said you know you're a Twin Peaks fan. You actually the name of your uh, your your company is it Bookhouse? Is it the Bookhouse Productions? Is that right? <laughs> yeah, Bookhouse <laughs> Production Inc. So that's uh, awesome. I I hope I, I don't get sued for. That. I don't think I can get sued for that. No, no. you're a Bookhouse. It could be anything. It's here. an homage yeah. thing. You're a Bookhouse <laughs> boy now. You're an official you Bookhouse go. boy. There you go. Uh, and have you had a chance to see the new series, the Showtime series? Oh yeah, yeah. I've I've watched it three times through now. Wow! And uh, I'm uh, booking out. Me and my friends are booking out a theater over the holidays to watch it all the way through, doing a marathon. Wow. I want I want to come to that theater. Oh my sure. god! Yeah, I talked to Ben sure. about that. Eighteen hours, you know, eighteen hours in a theater. Right. I don't know. I want to do it over a week. I I don't know if I can do it. One it's day. possible. I've done so. The original two seasons. I've done probably over 75 to 80 times in total. Um, and maybe 10 of those times was a straight 29-hour marathon wow. that we've done. Oh, my that's, God. That's impressive. Um, that's really yes. good. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's the point where, yeah, maybe it gets a little unhealthy. But, yeah, it was, it was a, it's an addiction for me for sure. Yeah, I think it is for everybody in the, in the Twin Peaks. How – no, what's your take on the ending? Can I – like have you have any thoughts of what, how you saw the ending of uh, season three? Yeah, it, it it was. I mean, at the time as you're watching it, I kind of understood reactions and how people would view it, you know, on Twitter and Facebook, and and how they were saying it, and people saying episode 17, that's the true ending, and 18 is this kind of like third act, what if kind of scenario. But 
I mean, it, it's absolutely perfect in Lynch Frost world and what and what they were after. Of course, they were going to do that to us. I think you have to go back to 1989 and the way television series existed back then was episodic television at the seven and a half minute mark. You know, someone's got to walk in on Chandler and something's going on and then mm. commercial break and suspense to the next thing. You guys know that when Twin Peaks came in and became this more serialized thing, that changed, you know, yeah. television. That mm-hmm. introduced X-Files, that introduced Lost. Everything else kind of owes to that. So – and at the time, we didn't – they didn't know what was happening. And now it's just so commonplace. You could show someone Twin Peaks nowadays and be like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of, you know, the killing or whatever. And you right. say, yeah, but that killing exists because of this yeah. Yeah. Um, in yeah. context. What happened now is we had Lynch and Frost come back and they did the same thing again. People are used to this kind of certain act structure in the television world where they want closes and they want endings and they want one timeline. And that timeline is attached to how Mother Earth is in this dimension. (laughs) And then all of a sudden Lynch says, does the hold my coffee and just throws this whole new world at us and a whole new way of storytelling. Again, it's not going to hit 100% of the audience. But the 15% of the audience that it hits are just like in wow of it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, we're still digesting the ending. And I think we're coming up with interesting theories so far. And every day I'm thinking about something new about it, you know. But it's so impressive that, you know, 25 plus years later, they're able to reinvent television again like and reinvent the series yeah i mean it's season three just changed all of twin peaks (laughs) yeah i mean what amazing storytelling to kind of retroactively go back and recontextualize everything i mean even reading that secret history of twin peaks the mark frost book was like just such a nice treat as far as you know what are what are the weakest storylines from from the original twin peaks like the the you know dougie milford and his brother kind of stuff (laughs) and now all of a sudden that's like key like canon stuff yeah. after reading this book and it re puts that in a, in a new a new light for sure yeah no it's it's i mean this as you know this is just so exciting that this came back you you've been thinking about it the last 20 years like what if it ever came back and we are living in the the unconscious dream right now of like oh my god this happened <laughs> totally did you read the final uh dossier yeah yeah of course i got that <laughs> i got that shipped right away and I think I read it in five hours. Yeah, um, that was really good. That was like the icing on the cake right there. Oh, yeah. And it was, I mean, of course, it's, you know, way shorter and it wasn't as much of a collage as that original one. And I kind of figured that going into it. But like, yeah. if you love Twin Peaks, you're just ready to consume anything. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. True. It was good. And um, and then, you know, there's there's some things that, some question marks that it throws up again. And I, I just listened the other day to your, your Mark Frost interview and I was kind of on the edge of my seat. Like, are they going to ask this? Or are they going to ask that? <laughs> you know, some things you want to know yeah, from him yeah. and some things like any answer he gives is going to kind of like destroy you and make you excited at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's you always know, hard because like, it was like we we interviewed him with, with had the book oh, the book had been out that week yeah and it's always kind of like okay it's new I don't want to do spoilers I don't want to like reveal anything but how can we kind of like tiptoe around this and try to get things yeah and, we didn't want to ruin it I think for me yeah. it was kind of like okay some things were not accurate in the last book <laughs> and I'm trying to tiptoe around it but yeah yeah it was a funny yeah interview. yeah I don't know if you want to bleep out anything I'm going to say but 
Yeah, there was obviously the you know people were in Vast talking about these inconsistencies in the first one, and then he kind of resolved. Some of them were resolved through the series, and some were resolved in this new one. And then you're reading, how is it that Annie was born in 1973 if she yeah. was in her early 20s? And yeah. then you're like, was that an oversight? Are we saying now because of this new timeline? And you know, right? But then either answer, I kind of want to know, and I kind of don't want to know because I'm hoping there's more to come and. And then there's, problems, there's other problems with dates where it's like, I yeah. think uh, Tammy is writing in 2016, but I think 25 years would have been, is it 2015 would it be? Or 2014? Yep. I can't remember. And then I think at one point it's it's 2017. So like there's a few different- Yeah, she she jumps to the future. Is she, yep. I don't know, but I don't, but would she have been oh, I've, at Twin Peaks for a year? I yeah, mean, I think so. I feel like. I've written them yeah. all down. Like I'm, I'm making my own notes. Oh, and, nice. Uh, oh, yeah. And then even the, the, you know, the, the log lady chapter, they call her, uh, Margaret Coulson in that. Yes. Uh, Coulson, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I know there's some lore where that was like her maiden name, but right. I mean, she's in the series, she's called Latterman the whole time kind right. of thing. Yeah, yeah. So is this because of the retroactive timeline that she kept that name or was it maybe an artistic tribute of Mark Frost paying homage to Catherine Coulson and yeah. putting that name? Either way, I kind of don't want to know and I do want to know. Yes. Yeah, um. it's, <laughs> I, I kind of go with the idea of like everything stands on its own and I kind of – you can just say, oh, maybe it's a little inconsistent and that's fine or maybe there's something deeper in there you know, and that's cool too. But the, to piggyback on what you're saying, when someone tells you something and you didn't want to know, the only time Ben and myself, we got we had a chance to interview Catherine Coulson. Yes. Okay. We did talk with her. We talked we, to her we, 10 we, minutes. Yeah, we, we interviewed her. We had an interview oh, uh, wow. before she passed away. And the, one of the questions was about the log. And... It was kind of heartbreaking to, her, to hear her theory about the log. Well, we had to say, right, we just said, I, I think I said to her, it's like, is, is the spirit of your husband, uh, the log lady's husband, in the yeah. log? And, stuff. and like, she so, said like, no. She's always talking, right? Yeah, yeah. But she, yeah. she made it out to be that, oh, it was it was only, it was really just the log lady talking to herself. It was just a way of, uh, was it a comfort? A coping, uh, yeah. A coping mechanism, which I just don't buy. I, I guess yeah, I, we kind of wanted to be her husband. <laughs> or even the Well, yeah, and you read yeah. the, the lore in the in the new secret history about there was this big fire and this lightning from the sky that came down and it killed these five woodsmen and yeah. maybe one of, that's how that would be souls get trapped in the wood and that's right. the husband. And then if it's just completely quenched by someone, you're like, Oh, so do I throw that all out that I was thinking about, or is it is that theory still alive? Or because Captain said no, that's completely gone? Or I, I feel like yeah. the theory is valid. I think we, I think that, but as her character, she probably just sees it one way. But the mythology yeah. is bigger. The mythology oh, yeah. becomes bigger than the actors, bigger than the characters, almost to the point where who really knows the truth? Right. But if if that's how she felt. That, I think that's correct. But then if we want to say, well, we think it is, and I think that's correct. And I think that's the cool thing about Lynch's work. You can have so many different theories and thoughts, and yeah. it's all correct and in a way. And at the end well, of that's... Uh, the final dossier, I think Mark Frost says something about, like, it's really individual thing of trying yes. to understand life and stuff, which I kind of – I really appreciate that he basically ended it with only we can really understand it for ourselves. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. And, and that's the, the beautiful thing about – Twin Peaks as like what is canon is it's transcended just being a TV show. There's a TV show, there's books, there's a movie, there's fan sites, there's conventions, there's actors, 
and everything they all contribute to it counts as canon. So yeah. you guys talking about it and doing your podcasts and the theories, that all counts equally. Where before, you'd have a TV show and it would come out for a half an hour and whatever happened there on that TV show, that was it. It was yeah. over with and there was one author kind of behind it. As much as you can say Lynch is an author or, or Frost is an author, there's so many people that go into making a show. So all these elements that you see add up to this greater thing we all get to experience. Yeah, definitely. Ooh. And it, it, it's the coolest thing. Very special. Yeah. Well, I don't know if there's anything else you want to share with us before we go, Mike? Uh, no, I'm just hoping we get the announcement for season four and five soon. <laughs> yes, four and five. I'm putting no. I'm putting down money that it's. I think we're gonna get season four and five. Uh, They're gonna shoot them at the same time. They're gonna each be nine episodes. They're gonna release them two years apart. Wow! Because that way they get uh, a little bit more subscribers hanging on for that. Right. That I like next that. one. Yeah, I hope so. Um, yeah, I, I don't I've, I've, I've convinced this myself. On the show, so. But I, my hope is that like the the, the DVD Blu-ray. Uh, uh, sell really well, like they're just really well, and it makes it just an easy green light. Say, so, hey, you know, people are buying this, people are interested in, in Twin Peaks. Let's make more. Because I feel like they're they're not exactly saying it, but Mark Frost kind of seems like he wants to do more. David Lynch wants to do more. The actors want to do more. So, but like, Lynch has said it took them five years to do this. Yes. That long. It, it, it took like a year of them thinking about it. I think they think about it quicker. Now. I don't know. You know, when takes takes his time. Yeah, it's, I'll give you, you know. a little a little insight that I kind of read just from the industry side of things. I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but there was an article about two to three weeks that came out before the end of the series with um, David Nevins just saying. Oh yeah, you know this has been the great subscriber thing for us, mm-hmm. and I haven't talked to David Lynch about another season yet. You know he's been in France for a while, and uh, I'm not going to go chase him down. And it's up to him; it's in his court. If you look at the context of that article, there's no substance to it. There's no reason that that article existed. It wasn't like something happened or they mm. were announcing something. That's a good point. That is a power play move by Showtime. Yeah, saying I mean th- this is great success for them showtime is 100 percent based on subscriptions and he even said we had the most subscriptions ever from this there's no reason for them to not to do it but if they go you know tail in hand to david lynch first and say come on please 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 do this from a business side of thing that's not a good place as far as business for them to be in i think he's trying to put it so that the fans are then turning their heads which we are right now to david saying please come on david please go and do this yeah and that way they can retain a little bit of leverage um i don't know if i'm being too meta on that but that's kind of how i read it there that's a good point that's why i have hope yeah it's a good point it makes sense you know and we just recently had the uh 119 uh initiative which was kind of cool yeah, but yeah, right. It was basically it was November nineteenth, and mm-hmm. they're doing the whole lady one, next one, door one one nine. So yeah, it was a way of saying, "Hey, we want more, more Twin Peaks." Yeah, that, yeah. I thought that was really kind of cool. Yeah, I oh, like, yeah, yeah. I like that, Mike. I think that makes a lot of sense. That that's what that I remember seeing that article, but I didn't even think of that was a power play. But I, I could. Yeah, why else would they have that? Why would you say in the same article? David and I agreed not to talk about it until the series was at, was done. 
Yeah. And then he says, oh, here I am talking about it, by the way, out loud. Yeah. So it's like, come on. <laughs> what you know, are you I, doing? I always get concerned about ratings, but, you know, there's this other show on Showtime called I'm Dying Up Here, and they had less – their ratings were worse than Twin Peaks. So they renewed that show, and mm-hmm. so they're willing to renew that, which I don't even know if it gets as much buzz as Twin Peaks. No. I feel like Twin Peaks is a is a smart choice with all the – Yeah, it, 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 it at this point has the, – the money is there, the appetite is there, the audience is there. It is up to basically Lynch Frost combination to say, yeah, we want to do that. Yeah. If they if they wanted to go to Netflix, they would get a green light tomorrow. Um, I think Showtime would would green light another season ASAP. But it is like it is a crazy amount of work that they have to go through. You're dedicating the next five years of your life to this project, and for us as diehard fans, we're like, come on, this is a no brainer. Go <laughs> yeah. and do it. Meanwhile, you know. You're David Lynch. You may have other things you want to do, and you want to build a table and stuff like that. So um, it's hard to get in his shoes because he's at the top of the mountain, kind of thing. But yeah, yeah I'm I'm still I'm really holding that I, I think it's going to happen again. I hope. Yeah, so. me too. I hope, so. yeah. I hope so too. And if they do, we love to have you back on. We yeah. Could, we could oh talk yeah. More yeah. Twin Peaks. Yeah, we could talk more Twin Peaks. So for people Fantastic. who want to see Iodine, uh, where how can they uh, check out your film? Yeah, if you go to iodinemovie.com, um, it just got re-released on video on demand there. So you can check it out there and you can either rent it um, or you could purchase it. And for the next uh, few months, we have a promo code Blue Rose, as in uh, our friends over at the Blue Rose magazine. Huh. Um, if you put in Blue Rose, you can get 10% off there. Very nice. Nice. And I definitely recommend yeah. it. Just, I mean, I like the story and I like the, I like the pacing and it's eerie and it's mysterious and I still even have questions even after seeing it. I'm like, oh, and I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it here. So maybe after we're done talking, <laughs> I can ask. But it's such a, it's a great film. You and Ray Wise do, given a great performance, and I really recommend everybody listening to check it out. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it, and thank, you, thank you to you guys for uh, what you're doing over there. It's, it's nice little. Uh, I put your blog or your your podcast on in the car off my phone on the way to work and listen to it in a little 10-minute snippet. So it's nice to digest a little bit of Twin Peaks every now and then and hear you guys talking your theories. Oh, thank thank you. you. Yeah, thank you. So Nicole, let's start with auditioning. What was it like for you auditioning for the the role of Daria? I I basically um, David Lynch was casting something. It wasn't clear what it was, and that I was going to go meet with Joanna Ray. Um, Joanna Ray cast me in a couple other projects. I was familiar with her and comfortable mm. with her, and she is truly a remarkable woman. So I, I went there and I waited outside and then I went into the room and, you know, Joanna and her wonderful assistant, Krista, were there and and Joanna said, you know, David's not here but we're going to pretend that he's here, which colored, which colored the interview quite a bit. We just spoke, we just spoke about whatever, you know, we, we felt like talking about something, mm. um, you know. It's not. It's not an audition. I'm sure you've heard of that. Yeah. You know, you've heard that before. You don't have. You generally don't have a scene to work on or anything like that. So you're just having a conversation, and I guess David sort of watches these conversations and gets a sense of who you are a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> and he, right for a role. 
Yeah, and you've been you you you're a Twin Peaks fan. I know they think you. you I've read in other uh, articles that you've mentioned you listened to the music when you were younger. And so when you found out it was Twin Peaks, yeah. how did you feel about that? Knowing that you actually were going to work on twenty five years later the new Twin Peaks. It is the most exciting thing ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I can't really. Um, really put that into words it's sort of beyond words I, I it was extreme it was extreme extreme extremely thrilling yeah that's awesome um, extremely thrilling on on many levels and uh, you know in, in some way I felt like oh I'm, I I feel like I'm finally if someone finally saw me oh David David saw David saw me David got it hmm. and um, you know I'm a little I'm an unusual person and I can't be easily thrown into many roles. I'm pretty specific. And mm. although I have quite a range and I feel like I can do many, many things, a lot of the normal stuff uh, doesn't doesn't hold much interest for me. So I like to do things that are really interesting. And I'm so grateful that I was given this opportunity to do something that was was truly engaging for, for me on, on all levels. Awesome. And I thought you were so good. I mean, and so many fans really loved your work. You're only in two parts. And I, it was it was unfortunate because you were, I thought you were so good. And it, and I wanted to see so much more of your character. And, and we, we got it right at the beginning there. And uh, what was it like for you when you got to see the script? And like, what did you make of Daria, like of her character? Like, what did you think of her? Well, you know, that you only get a few pages of what your, what your, scenes, what your hmm. scenes are. So... I wasn't given a I wasn't given a character description. I was given nothing. Wow. I I I just I always loved my characters, you know, no matter how fucked up they are. <laughs> yeah. How twisted, how bizarre, you know. It, I I I find I find the love in them, and and I find the love in myself for them, and I think I don't know. I'm kind of going on a strange tangent about loving bizarre characters. That's <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I think that much about that. I didn't think I thought that much about her. I think I just sort of let it, let her happen to me. Yeah. Which is more my process. That's I cool. let I let characters happen to me. Yeah. I, I kind of, as, as they're happening, I kind of, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I was thinking about this character, and and I was trying to think: is she also like an FBI informant? Because she was she was more complicated. She was like working with these people that Mister C saw, and then she also was kind of working with Ray, and and Ray was working with the FBI. And I was like, huh, like what is? <laughs> I wanted more of your back the backstory. Who is she? <laughs> yeah, who is she? I mean, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't we all? Yeah, don't yeah. we all? I don't have any anything to clarify that for you. Right. Um, well, that's an, and, and there was no like deleted scenes. It, like I mean, you were watching it when it came out. Did, was there anything that they they had shot that that didn't make it to the show? Well, I mean, reels of reels of other footage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I can elaborate on that. Okay. To be honest, I'm just I'm just as intrigued about her background as you are, mm. and um, I do I do I do find it. It's very interesting. What is, who, who, who is who is she really? Who right. is Daria? But yeah. I, mean, I think I think your your performance is what made the character to have just only a few scenes, really. Like, but your presence, I think, really made that character because I think a, a different actress might not have been able to do what you pulled off. So I'm really impressed with with what you were able to do with the character. Thank you so much. That really, really means a lot. It was a really big deal for me to be given the opportunity to play her. Really, truly, it makes makes my heart come out of my eyes a little bit as I say it. Yeah. Um, 
it was it was a really powerful experience for me and a great learning experience, um, particularly in, in the art of letting go. I, I I really gave it my all in the time that I had. I'm proud of the leap that I took, and you know I always say that that, that my greatest leaps are the leaps yet to come. Mm. <laughs> but nice. but one has to really appreciate the ones that that one's taken and. This time with David uh, working on Daria and working on, you know, particularly that intense scene, um, really changed the way that I work as an actor and appreciate my own self yeah. as a creative force. Yeah, and I feel like you're as an actress, it's a vulnerable place too. I mean, you're kind of like half naked, and you're having this really creepy guy who says he's basically going to kill you, and and have to be in that moment, in that performance. I can't even imagine how, as an actress, you handle that and (laughs) (laughs) um yeah you know just years of being alive on the planet you know we're all humans and we all have weird experiences and we all meet strange people and um we all have difficult times that we can draw upon yeah. You know, and and also, you know, as an actor, you you're you put yourself through the ringer so that when you know these kinds of opportunities come up that require you to be to be more vulnerable, that you are that you're ready, you're ready. Like I said, you're ready to leap, you're ready to take a risk and yeah. do it. And that was my first day on set. Wow! So I had just met David. <laughs> I had just said hello. We smoked, you know, a cigarette together, and you know, didn't talk about the role at all, didn't have what we were doing, and then I was sort of just thrown in there, so. Wow. And what do you think of David Lynch's style of directing? I've heard it's it's very different than maybe some of the other directors out there. I mean, I think does he does he kind of let you find your own the character yourself, or does he kind of give you some direction if he feels you're not going in the way he wants you to? Or it's interesting. He for that particular scene, he was extremely hands off. He came to me during one small section of it and just sort of whispered in my ear, "Beautiful, beautiful." And then ran back. And then when we went, uh, you know, when we went into the intense part of that scene, um, we just sort of went through it a few times. And um, it, you know, it was, a, it was a long, it was a long day shooting that scene. It's a very long scene, mm. about eleven minutes, or ten or eleven minutes that scene. But you know, but on you know, on another day, like he, he you know, he might ask for a little bit more um, in terms of like, oh, you know try something like this or that, you know, directing a little bit more. But, you know, my experience with him is that he he left to me alone and then if, I, if he saw that I needed some kind of support, he was there. I just mm. There was just a sense that you were you were loved. Yeah. You were loved and supported as an artist. You know, that's that, nice. that, that is um, appreciated as an artist and that appreciation of, of your very essence, of your very being allows you such incredible freedom. I only get to work with him on a few scenes but I, I, I really dream of working with him again and because I, I just it felt like this door opened and all this light started pouring in mm. and I was like, Oh well, this is what this is what it can be like. Yeah. This is what it can be like, you know. <laughs> I learned so much and then it was you know, my time was over and I was like, Oh shit you know, like, and on, on my last day, David was grabbing me and he was holding my shoulder. He said, we'll figure something out. We'll figure something out. You know, because he was also very, very sad that I that I was leaving. 
Yeah. We we connected very deeply, very quickly, uh, David and I, and, and it was really very special mm. experience to work with him on Twin Peaks. Yeah. Well, I hope you do get the opportunity to work again with him, whether it be somehow we get Twin Peaks again or something else. But if it's Twin Peaks, you know, plenty of people have died and we found a way for them to come back. So uh, you never know what will happen. You never know. You never know. So, you're, you know, I'm doing an interview with you, but you do interviews. Can you share some of that, what you're working on right now? I think it's a coffee uh, table book that you're working on. Well, you know, I, I love to interview people, and I'm, I haven't done it in a little while, but I did interview this, this writer, Carlos Canelsgard. Hmm. Um, he's a Norwegian writer, and I've been talking with a friend of mine about having like a annual or biannual coffee table magazine full of these uh. interviews of people that I consider arsonists. Uh, it will be called The Arsonist, and it's about people that, you know, are sort of on the crest of the forefront of innovation that are, you know, like an arsonist flicking matches mm. and maybe somebody will awaken from what they're they're offering to the world. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, so that's sort of the idea and so I'm I'm interested in, in meeting with people that are really on the crest of that wave, you know, beautiful, beautiful giant wave of bliss, but on the top of it they're flicking matches off. <laughs> um <laughs> That's so cool. You know, in, in, in the, the sort of the imagery, I'm still working on the perfection of that imagery, but I, I'm not sure who's next. I really would like to interview Philip Glass, one of my favorites, and he's up for me. And then I, I am interested in, in interviewing some, some actors and and also some uh, janitors and all sorts of people, all different fields, but yeah. people that are, that are doing business. Thing. And what, yeah. are you, is your hope of it coming out in 2018? Is that is that what your goal is, or? Oh, I don't know. I, you know, to be honest, I don't really have an uh, you know an end date for this project. Yeah. Um, it's a passion project, and it seems to have its own timeline, and it's pretty slow moving. Although there was a little there was a little spark, spark in development yesterday, so hmm. we'll see, we'll see how things how things go. It's really just for my own spirit yeah. that I that I do it. I, I I I love to meet people that are very alive and connect with them. So that's awesome. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for your yeah. time. I mean, it, it's so good to talk with you. I really loved your part in in the new Twin Peaks and what you did. And I wish we had more of you. And you know, maybe maybe in another project with Lynch, you'll get that. And and thank you so much. All right, thank you so much. Hi, this is J.C. Hotchkiss from 25 Years Later site, and here is my piece, Reincarnation and the Return, Part 3. Ding dong, Cooper's dead. For those of you 25 Years Later fans, you know by now my love for the character of Special Agent Dale Cooper runs very deep, which makes writing this third installment of my Reincarnation and the Return so heart-wrenching. I'm going to make a very bold statement, one in which may get me into a lot of trouble with some, applauded by others, and even more asking, what are you talking about, JC? After rewatching seasons one, seasons two, fire walk with me, and a first viewing with some rewatching of parts of season three, I have come to the deduction that special agent Dale Cooper 
is dead. Now, before you bite my head off, let me make my case. Throughout writing this series, I have read, researched, and reread different theories on reincarnation and Tibetan Buddhist mysticism. The Tibetan Book of the Dead, also known as the Great Liberation, upon hearing in the immediate state, is a guide for the dead during the state that intervenes death and the next rebirth. It is a little like Beetlejuice in the handbook for the recently deceased. What made me gasp upon reading passages from a condensed version of the book was the following explanation. The Bardo Thidal teaches that once awareness is freed from the body, it creates its own reality as one would experience in a dream. This dream occurs in various phases, Bardo's, in ways both wonderful and terrifying. Overwhelming peaceful and wrathful visions and deities appear. Since the deceased's awareness is in confusion of no longer being connected to a physical body, it needs help and guidance in order that enlightenment and liberation occurs. This brings us back to Gordon's Monica Bellucci dream. We are like the dreamer, who dreams and then lives inside the dream. But who is the dreamer? While I do still believe we are all the dreamers, in this realm of discussion there is yet another answer. The dreamer is Dale Cooper. And the reason he's our dreamer is because he is going through the states of Bardo, just as the Tibetan Book of the Dead instructs. The first stage of Bardo comes at the very moment of death. Where do I think Cooper died? Cooper dies at the end of season one when Josie shoots him. He is visited by two beings, the giant and the waiter, which I know have been considered one and the same, but I think the giant just communicates through the waiter. Or the waiter is indeed a lodge being. They both are trying to get him to see things in a certain way spiritually, but one more literally than the other. The giant tells him many things, while the waiter listens to Cooper's call for help, but ignores his request. Both of these beings are trying to teach him something about descending into the first stage, but Cooper being Cooper, does not see what he needs to and is put to the, into the second stage, secondary clear light. This level constantly repeats the instructions needed to be able to go on to the next level. The giant returning to Cooper and telling him, it's happening again, would be one example. But JC, wouldn't this mean that everything in season two is part of Cooper's reincarnation and is not really happening? Yes and no. This is where you have to bear with me and keep an open mind. When Major Briggs visits Cooper, he shows Cooper the printout that says, the owls are not what they seem, followed by three Coopers. In the return, only two Coopers are mentioned. The reason for the three Coopers is because there are three Coopers at this point. Good Cooper, the dead one, who is in the Red Room. Pre-Mr. C. Cooper, who is also in the Red Room and the Bodhisattva emanation of Cooper, still in the realm of Twin Peaks. On His Holiness the 14th Dalai Lama of Tibet's webpage, it states, Ordinary sentient beings generally cannot manifest an emanation before death, mede toku, but superior bodhisattvas, who can manifest themselves in hundreds or thousands of bodies simultaneously, can manifest an emanation before death. Within the Tibetan system of recognizing tulkus, there are emanations who belong to the same mind stream as the predecessor, emanations who are connected to others through the power of karma and prayers, and emanations who come as a result of blessings and appointment. Cooper, with the guidance of the giant, emanated a version of himself so he could continue trying to solve Laura's murder and truly embrace what being a bodhisattva meant. So JC, wouldn't that be considered a tulpa? Yes, you're getting it now. It's almost exactly like we have been finding out about tulpas. The second bardo is the bardo of becoming. Spiritualtravel.org writes, A stage in which the desires of the individual are said to carry the largely helpless soul through a great variety of intense emotional states. Good thoughts bring great bliss and pleasure, and hateful or negative thoughts bring great pain and desolation. To me, this is the other Coopers, Mr. C and Dougie. As Dougie, his soul is broken and feelings of bliss and pleasure control him like that of a child. 
Mr. C, on the other hand, is mean and maniacal. Both represent two opposite thoughts of an afterlife, heaven and hell. In the Buddhist religion, heaven is not a permanent state and neither is hell. Thus, Cooper must make his subconscious recognize the change of states. When he's Dougie, he feels things Mr. C has done, as evidenced by such moments as the face massage, mirrored by Bushnell. Cooper, as I've said in part two of my series, is a bodhisattva, needing to be awakened. Therefore, he may not recognize he is in fact dead, even though he is feeling and remembering his negative evil self. Another interesting part of the second bardo is that it is said to last for two weeks. If you consider the timeline of the return, it's about 10 days, give or take. In the second bardo, there's also a part that explains Laura and her light. Even the most wretched souls will eventually work their way out of the deepest pit of hell, just as even the highest and purest souls will eventually lose their footing in heaven and descend again into the cycle of death and rebirth. Liberation is the only way out. I'm not saying that Laura is a truly wretched soul, but she has had some truly wretched things happen to her. Laura is as important to the whole equation as is Cooper. Laura shows Cooper the bright white light which inhabits her. Cooper does not know what this means in the beginning of the return. Due to his lack of reaction, Laura is pulled back out and into rebirth, and into, as we soon find out, Carrie Page. This can only occur because Laura was liberated at the end of Fire Walk With Me, and liberation is the only way out. Cooper has not achieved this because the ultimate need to protect and serve keeps him from liberation. Additionally, he cannot be liberated because he has yet to face the third bardo. In the third bardo, the soul encounters the Lord of Death, which can be seen as Jaude or Judy. The way in which the third bardo is explained makes my heart hurt for various reasons. The worst being that what unfolds in part 18 sounds frighteningly similar. The soul encounters the Lord of Death, a fearsome demonic deity who appears in smoke and fire and subjects the soul to a judgment. If the dead person protests that he has done no evil, the Lord of Death holds up before him the mirror of karma, wherein every good and evil act is vividly reflected. Now, demons approach and begin to inflict torments and punishments upon the soul for his evil deeds. The instructions in the Bardo Theodol are for him to attempt to recognize the voidness of all these beings, including the Lord of Death himself. The dead person is told that this entire scene unfolding around him is a projection from his own mind. Even here, he can attain liberation by recognizing this. Sounds quite familiar, doesn't it? What year is this? The screen suddenly goes black. The void has been recognized. All these beings and Judy herself have been a projection of Cooper. Is this Cooper achieving his liberation by recognizing this? Does Carrie, Laura, scream to help Cooper recognize this as well? This is where my sadness comes. Cooper has not acknowledged his death, and this is why he does not realize the projection to be true. He still thinks he's a living Dale Cooper, and why shouldn't he? He is the Cooper that saved Laura. He is the one that brought her back home so she will once again be with her mother. He risked everything to make sure this would happen. He fell further and further into different locas or locations of hell to escape the truth. He believes it is Laura's truth he must save and that his actions as a bodhisattva are helping Laura ascend to her greatness. This is why we will always end up seeing Cooper still in the lodge with Laura whispering in his ear. He will always end up in a new hell because he cannot move forward with his own liberation. He will always be searching finding, discovering, never giving up, and then coming full circle back to the Red Room. Laura will always be waiting to whisper that he is dead. His soul is there with her, and if he ever wants to move on, he needs to awaken. Cooper can control his own destiny within the constructs of the Bardo Thodol. The instructions given to him in this afterlife, he just needs to follow them. Once he follows them down his path of enlightenment, Cooper will have truly awakened. He will have fulfilled his duty, become a Severio Bodhisattva, and once again will have let virtue and goodness be perfected in every way. 
For more of my articles, visit 25yearslatersite.com. Thanks. Thank you, JC. Check out her other great work at 25yearslatersite.com. Thank you, Nicole, and thank you, Mike for both being on today's show on our New Year's show. Into the new year for Twin Peaks Unwrapped and We're still you know, going? I know. <laughs> I can't believe doing? it. There's no there's no more show, there's no books, there's nothing new. And yet here we are in twenty eighteen, still chugging away. Yeah, and I, I think we're gonna do our best to really dig in to see season three more. A lot of people, we've gotten a lot of messages saying we want more of that. Yeah, we, I think part are. of the things we were thinking is we wanted to wait for the Blu-ray. I wanted to wait for the Blu-ray to rewatch yeah. some of that. Yeah. And I think there was stuff to talk about from the Blu-rays that we can do. And then we'll be doing that soon. The special features, yeah. which, so hold on to your butts because we're we're going to be talking about all that stuff in upcoming weeks. The plan is to get more interviews. I mean, we there's still yes. so many people we want to talk to from the new series, from the old series. This podcast can go on forever. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it'll go on forever, but I hope we can go on for a little longer. Yeah, as long as we can do it. So if you'd like to send us a comment, a question, a theory, or hey, you know how to get in contact with David Lynch, send us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com. You can follow us at Twitter at twinpeaksunwrapped. Ben, usually the person handling Twitter. And I'm, you're usually on Facebook, yeah. I'm uh, doing the Facebook stuff, Twin Peaks Unwrapped. We're getting more likes every day. The community's growing. And you can find me on Twitter, damn fine Java. Um, usually, we got conversations going on about Twin Peaks or stuff I've watched. Sometimes you're video games, you're yeah, yeah. whatever you're into. Yeah, so we have a good time on there. Also, iTunes. It's very important. Leave leave us that five star reviews. Leave us a nice little comment. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google Play. Help get this uh, community growing even more than it already is. Yeah, we really appreciate everybody who's been reaching out to us. Thank you for all the reviews and the five stars on iTunes. Thank you for the emails and for just you know staying in contact and le- letting us know what you think of our show. And with that, Ben, we'll see everybody in the trees. See you next week. And I see you in the branch. That blow the breeze. I see you in the trees. I.